The state of the national sheep flock in Australia is concerning. The latest projections have the national flock at just under 66 million head, down 6.8% year on year, and almost a 9% fall over the last two years. So with widespread drought in New South Wales, high slaughter rates, but record mutton and prime lamb prices, as well as good wool prices, the national flock is not expected to rebound in a hurry, despite these optimistic forecasts for wool, lamb and mutton. It's a rosy picture for the Australian sheep industry if only Mother Nature would do her bit and deliver some decent seasons. Welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. Today we look at the capacity to join sheep earlier than usual to push the genetic boundaries and grow your flock of breeding ewes faster than what has been traditionally possible. And the idea for this podcast actually came from Rachel Plowman in Western Australia who wants to know if anyone is weaning more than 90% from their maiden merino ewes. So if you're listening and you know someone who or you've done that yourself, um, let us know and we'll catch up. But in the meantime, look, I've caught up with James Whale from Meridian Agriculture, who has studied a very closely related subject as part of his master's degree at Melbourne University. The research was funded through the Sheep CRC. James, what exactly did you research? Oh, thanks, thanks, Marius. Uh, yeah, well, look, my, my research, it was a few years ago now, but um, my master's research was looking at the, the feasibility of mating merino ewes to lamb at, at, at one year of age. Um, so, the, on the, we had two, two case study farms in central Victoria uh, where we did some trial work and we were joining those ewes at seven to eight months of age and so they were, they were lambing at, at sort of 13 to 14 months of age. So, uh, approximately a month um, later than the adult breeding ewes in, in those flocks and then we were looking to bring them back in, into line with um, adult ewe mating the following the following year. So what I mean, it's a, I suppose something that any merino producer would be really interested in uh, in doing, particularly people that are wanting to build their flocks um, even post drought. Mm. Um, but yeah, it sounds like you really were looking to push the boundaries of what that maiden ewe was capable of doing. Yeah, look, I th- yeah, precisely we were. Um, at that same time, it was post post drought. A lot of interest in building, rebuilding uh, flocks quickly, and what was the capacity to do it. So um, yeah, I guess we we were using just happened to be using two different uh, merino bloodlines. Um, we deliberately chose uh, genetics, merino genetics that we thought um, were capable of doing this. Um, actually, the two the two flocks that were part of that that trial work were already joining. Uh, joining ewe lambs um, or had experience joining ewe lambs previously and I think the fascinating thing was for myself coming coming out of it was just what is possible with nutrition um, if we set you know some quite ambitious targets with body development um, it is amazing how well um, what proportion of them will get pregnant at that young age um, as well as lambs successfully at just over 12 months of age so, so what? Yeah, what were the results? Uh, how, did it, how did it all pan out for you? Well, uh, yeah. Look, this the fascinating thing to me was that uh, with the two different uh, genetic uh, groups we worked with, we basically got a very similar result. We got eighty um, percent of the ewes pregnant at that 
mating at seven at, to eight. Seven to eight months, yeah. yeah okay. eight, eight, eight out of ten ewes um, in both trial mobs were pregnant at that age. And um, both of them, pretty well of those 80% that were pregnant, we had about 100% landmarking rate from, from that... Um, from that from that group of ewes. So yeah. I guess, you know, if you work that back, so 20% weren't pregnant. Um, so we ended up with a landmarking percentage of around 80%. Which uh, I would have thought was way above general standards for, for maiden ewes. Just going back a step, the two bloodlines that you used, I presume you were trying to, uh, you, one of them was sort of a West Australian or South Australian type, uh, faster maturing type and then a slower maturing type or? There's certainly some background influence of you know, more South Australian type merinos. Um, I believe in both flocks, um, as well as some Pepin, Pepin merino bloodlines, probably going further back. Um, so, but both, whether this is relevant or not, I'm not sure. Both of those groups of animals were performance recording based flocks, um, and they were certainly looking, you know, selecting animals based on things like. Um, yeah, growth rates as well as fat and muscle. Yeah. Okay, so what are the take-home messages here? Because you've obviously nutrition plays an enormous part here. You have to get the nutrition exactly right. And I think the, the rough rule of thumb is that ewes will, will join once they've reached, I think, 70% of adult body weight. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good question. You're testing my memory on what our targets were. For both groups of ewes, our target was to join them at an average weight of 45 kilos um, so that was now yeah, so there's probably some uh, these these ewes they were larger type merino ewes they probably are getting close to 60 kilos um, in as, as an adult ewe in condition score three so that puts us yeah at about 70 75 percent of adult body weight um, I think there's no doubt when we looked at the data that was a key driver you know there was definitely a strong relationship between those that were pregnant and what weight they were at joining. Um, a strong relationship there. And look, one of the one of the probably key things in the work was looking back at a lot of the previous research with both merinos and a lot of that. It, it was quite interesting to see how much work had been done with merinos in Australia in the 60s and 70s, joining at that age. Um, and that that was I found that astounding. Um, and some of that work was quite useful in setting up the trials that we did as well as um, work in, in New Zealand more uh, predominantly with crossbreed sheep. Um, and a lot of the work around, particularly in New Zealand, trying to understand the importance of nutrition during pregnancy in those ewe lambs and how important it is to get them to continue growing during pregnancy mm. for, a, for optimal results um, once, um, once it was time for them to, um, to, yeah, to lamb. And one of the one of the big things we got out of it was actually setting quite ambitious targets for lambing weight, for, for use for the, the weight of ewes when they lambed. Um, and we were actually looking at having these merino ewes above 55 kilos at lambing because I think we've got to remember that there's, you know, even for a single bearing ewe, there's, a, there's very close to 10 kilos in fetal weight. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, the, that's the lamb, fetus, um, embryonic, um, embryonic fluid. Yeah, and placenta, etc. It's uh, so it's a very big ask, though, isn't it? When you think about it, that this animal is trying to grow itself, and then when you put the burden of pregnancy on there as well, it's uh, it's a huge burden to ask any sort of living animal to do. And what sort of 
do we know of any sort of a longer term consequences from that? And looking right back to that lifetime U research, uh, what, where are the compromises here? Yeah, well, you're right. Well, lifetime U research didn't look at joining U's at such young ages. They're all adult U's. So we've looked at um, previous work that had been done. I, I certainly haven't done any work looking at the longer term consequences, but it was really interesting to find that the only only evidence I could find of negative consequences down the track were if U's weren't heavy enough either at joining or at lambing. So um, I think the, the answer to that is we don't know um, if there are long-term consequences if, um, yeah, provided ewes meet these important body development targets, if we're asking them to lamb and to milk, and then um, get back into a lamb, lamb the following year, that is one thing we did look at. Uh, we found that those ewes that lambed as lambs um, were no less likely to get pregnant the next year. Oh, but that's think, important. Yeah. yeah. But I think again that that was what what they, so much of that came down to was the weights we were able to get those ewes at um, prior to lambing in their first year. Really, all they had to do was get back into condition again prior to joining. They didn't actually have to do any more body development or growth. Right. So you you wouldn't rec necessarily recommend early weaning. Yeah. Oh, good question. Yes, and probably definitely. Um, uh, yeah, just to get the condition back on the ewes if they needed it. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the clear thing was um, you've you've done a lot of the hard work if you can get those ewes to 55, 55 plus kilos at, at time of lambing. So it sounds like the take-home messages are, you know, you, it can be done, but the ewe has to be uh, at a sort of 75% of her adult body weight at joining. So you've got to give her everything to get there and you've got to continue to give her everything through the pregnancy. Um, it's just you've, you've got to have your nutrition absolutely right. Yeah, that'd be my message. It's um, joining you lambs is certainly not for the faint-hearted, and you really want to be um, be very confident about how you can achieve that sort of growth in young animals, um, as well as you know your monitoring just needs to be spot on because if you're not if you're not achieving those growth rates, you know you need to implement something to to make sure it happens because the last thing you want to do is is have a negative impact on that animal for the rest of their life. So monitoring just weight or condition score or what in a practical sense what are you suggesting there? Yeah I think for these for these young animals that are still growing and developing weight is probably the key. Um, for animals that are still growing condition score can be a little bit misleading um, so we've found that probably you know, live weights is, is probably the best way to go. Now there's a lot of support around uh, nutrition in sheep obviously lifetime new management but beyond that there's the winning with weaners uh, course that uh, is and, and uh, picking performance uh, use as well as another one um, so in terms of looking at um, that what do you suggest people uh, really update their skills with if they're wanting to do this yeah well I think that the winning with wieners um, the opportunities there in that this new new course um, I think it's yeah really exciting because it's um, it's going to you know, school development in that area with with young animals it is different to um, adult animals and there's you know a lot of skills we can all learn in that area I think to um, and I think you know particularly with when we're seeing where commodity prices are at um, there's even it just makes so much more sense that we we can spend more money on these animals um, because we know it's setting them up for for the future and their productivity in the future and um, yeah so I think it's it's just a really exciting time the economics stack up and we can we can put put more money into them for better results
And uh, Ed, as you were saying, that the wing with weaning, of course, has been very popular, but you've, it's not just about energy, is it? You've got protein as well and, you know, crude protein. It's a, it's a much more finessed situation and the balance has got to be just right. Everyone knows how hard weaners are to manage. And uh, um, so, yeah, it sounds like it's a bit more of a complicated system rather than just throwing them more, more, new, more, more uh, energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, certainly, and you know, a lot of it's in different areas. We've got we've got different protein sources available, um, and you know, understanding those different options for your for your district with all feeding um, is doing it with confidence, uh, feeling confident about what result you're actually going to get out the other out the other end. So James, you've uh, yeah really pushed the envelope for a lot of people in this uh, regard. Um, a, where do they find your work if they'd like to read it? And B, if you had the chance to follow up with some more research, what would you like to do? Oh, Maris, yeah, well, look, I think probably if anyone's particularly interested in the area, they, they should, I'd be, yeah, um, I'd encourage them to send me an email or, or give me a call um, and I can um, certainly send through some of the information that we, that we looked at. Um, and some of the modelling work we did on the economics for different different parts of Australia and different um, different pasture systems, how much it's going to cost you to to actually produce that those additional lambs from joining new lambs. Um, and yeah, look, f- future work in this space, it would be quite interesting to see some more more trials, I think, in the area. And I think one of the one of the really interesting things that we found, which which was a separate bit of work that I was involved with was the genetic um, potential to actually select for sire lines that are really good at um, yeah, this early age reproduction and some of the work we, we did in South Australia with a well known merino stud was actually looking at um, yeah, so um, one of their groups of ewe lambs and it was just fascinating to see some the impact of sire of dam on their ability to actually become pregnant, the, and the and the it, it ranged from, you know, almost 100% of ewes getting pregnant out of certain sires, um, and down to you know only 10 or 20% in other sires. So there's obviously mm. a huge variation in genetics for this capacity to join at these younger younger ages. So there's you know the the opportunity is there to to select for those these animals that will do it. And sounds just just from listening to you talk, it sounds like it's a, a it's a perfect uh, thing for say the Merino Lifetime Productivity Project to uh, to use if they're not already doing that. Yeah, it could be a could be a really interesting add-on. Mm. I think. Well, uh, James Wild from Meridian Agriculture, thank you very much uh, for your work in this area because it's uh, really interesting and really pertinent at the moment. But um, yeah, thanks for having a yarn with us today. My pleasure, Marius. Thank you. So that's James Whale of Meridian Agriculture talking of his research through Melbourne University funded by the Sheep CRC. Obviously there's a lot more to this subject and well worth contacting James to read his fascinating work. His details you'll find through the Meridian website. So the Winning with Wieners course that was mentioned there continues to be very popular. Uh, Merino Wieners of course are notoriously hard to manage but the rewards are enormous, perhaps never greater. The Winning with Wiener workshop can be run through your AWI extension network, so that is the Sheep's Back in WA, Sheep Connect in New South Wales, South Australia and Tasmania, Best Wool Best Lamb in Victoria and Leading Sheep in Queensland. Okay, so this episode came about after some feedback to the yarn. It's easy to do, just flick an email to the yarn at wool.com. 
It's great to hear from you and it's great to have you as a listener. So from me, Marius Cumming, thank you for your time and uh, we all look forward to your company again soon.